Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. And I've got a fantastic guest for you today, Dr. Joe Sherman. He's a board certified pediatrician, but more importantly, he's bridging the gap between healthcare burnout, helping physicians and healthcare professionals transition out of the dysfunctional healthcare system. He's a master certified development coach and consultant. And today we're going to talk all about the healthcare system and the work that he's doing to bring more empowerment to physicians. So, uh, Joe, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Yeah, I know, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're talking backstage and you and me, you know, we come from the same, you know, um, industry and we know what's going on and, you know, we're doing our best to empower individuals. So kind of talk to, you know, what is your story, your backstory, how you got involved and um, the work that you're doing now? Sure. So I'm a general pediatrician and have uh, been in practice for about 35 years. So you can imagine when I came out of residency, healthcare looked completely different than it does right now. And that was a time that as a general pediatrician, most of us were going into private practices. People had their private practices and I went to medical school and residency in Virginia. And even my second year of residency, I was getting phone calls from pediatricians in small towns in rural Virginia saying, here, come and join our practice. And I was a young kid. I didn't know what that was all about. I'm originally from Washington, D.C. And so I was kind of a city person and wanted to get back there. And so I began my career back in D.C. and found my um, I would say found my niche where really where I felt I was myself. And that was in the area of training and community pediatrics. So joining those two things together was something that for me brought me joy, brought excitement, enthusiasm. But it was usually, uh, as I look back in retrospect, under kind of a protected umbrella of special projects that were funded there was not uh, pressure for productivity. There was not pressure to uh, for bottom line. There was a little bit of pressure for um, raising donations and funding for projects that were community outreach projects. But for the most part in my career, I have worked both domestically as well as internationally, and they've usually been funded projects and programs with teams. The last experience I had overseas was four years in Bolivia with my family. And I returned from that experience back to Seattle, Washington, where I live now. And I got plugged into a job that I thought would work very well. It was teaching residents and working in an inner city uh, clinic as part of a hospital, part of a university system. But I soon found out that Life had changed during the four years I was out of the country. It was during the financial uh, crash of 2008, 2009. And uh, that news didn't hit rural Bolivia where we were living. So uh, I had to make do with half cutting half the staff, all the RNs being removed from the clinic, medical assistants being asked to do things that they weren't qualified to do. Everyone's stressed out. And for me, given my personality, I wanted to fix it all for everybody. So I just tried to work harder and harder and harder 
to fix everything that was broken so that uh, we could create a, a better culture in the clinic. And as I was doing that, I was going downhill, 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 and I crashed. I really, I it was increasing anxiety and and depression, and uh, mm-hmm. really impacted my family. So I had to quit. I stopped, and during that time, I really explored my life and and those things that brought me joy, those things that really brought me alive in medicine. And I was able to understand the setting and the values that I was expressing in certain places and those that were missing in others. And so I sought out part-time positions uh, in those types of settings. And in the meantime, I thought I wanted to do the same for other physicians and health professionals and try to help support them in finding out where their true place is, where they feel they can be their authentic selves and do the work that they felt they were meant to do. And so now I coach individual physicians. I facilitate workshops and retreats for medical teams and physicians. Yeah. And try to try to help people find their spot. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, you know, a lot of my physician colleagues, they started reaching out to me, um, you know, back when I, you know, retired and started, you know, helping others. And they, one of the biggest problems is this disconnect between the um, C-suite and the front lines. And the main complaint is that they just don't understand. You know, for example, private equity is just all about money and maximizing profit. You know, there's the healthcare leaders are not physicians. And, um, you know, there's this disparity, there's a value misalignment, there's incentive. And, um, you know, a lot of it's just kind of, uh, you know, one-sided. So how do you bridge the gap between the C-suite and the front lines in healthcare? That's a great question. And when you come up with the answer, let me know. I I do feel like there is hope here. And I derive a lot of that hope from my experience living in other cultures, in other countries, because it truly is uh, two different cultures coming together and clashing. And you have the culture, the business corporate culture of medicine, and the C-suite is primarily folks coming out of that culture where it's all about the product or the bottom line, about consumers and the product that you're delivering and satisfying the consumers with the product that will sell and that will keep you afloat. Even if you're nonprofit, you still need to bring in income. So that's the whole philosophy behind that. And then you have the medical culture, which comes from this long tradition of apprenticeship and craft and uh, art of medicine and relationship building and studying and uh, valuing that relationship and that interaction and trying to serve the public in, in a field that is thought to be something that everyone has the right to. So if you think about those two cultures, there's a lot of room for clashing. And that's what happens. My feeling is that you have two sides similar to our country's Congress right now, maybe. <laughs> I just see like they're digging their heels in and saying they don't just understand, you know. <laughs> if those C-suite people just understood that I know how to run my clinic, then they would leave me alone. If those doctors would just realize that if they don't start seeing more patients, we're going to close and they're not going to have a job, then everything. So 
if you have people that understand and meet each other as human beings first and say, look, I'm a human being, I have a family, I'm struggling, I'm under stress, and you meet each other from the perspective of, of truly being open and curious about learning each other's cultures, I uh-huh. do think there is hope. But there are all these barriers to break down before we get to that point. Yeah. And it's not just doctors, too, because I know there's a, a epidemic of burnout among nurses and um, this this epidemic of workplace violence from patients or just, you know, families and, you know, really horrific stories. And then um, there's a, I think there was this article that I read recently where Bernie Sanders, he criticized, you know, Robert Wood Johnson Hospital where the CEO was making 17 million and, you know, laying off nurses and basically hiring traveling nurses and kind of this, uh, this like I said, it's just very one-sided. And uh, the other question that I get from colleagues is why is it that the C-suite is lawyers, politicians, and executives and no physicians? What is your take on that? So my take on that is that we physicians are are not well-trained and well-prepared to be in that C-suite. And I don't think that our training in our entire medical training is geared toward us learning how to treat patients and trying to continue that learning process and treat patients the best way we can. We are not learning about the business of medicine. We are not learning how to negotiate communication. We're not learning how to understand personality and how personality plays into our communication and how to address each other and and people. So what I find also is that when an MD does gain that position in the C-suite, very often they're trying to see if they can you know, match up to the administrators. Can I, you know, find my way and and jostle for position here and try to to be a sharp administrator? You do need to understand the culture. It gets back to the culture. But the most important role for you in that C-suite is to represent the medical culture, to represent your colleagues. The reason you're there is because you have the expertise of your clinical experience and your background. But if you come banging down things and throwing stuff around and saying you people just don't understand, then you're not going to get anywhere. But if you come and say, if you truly want to know how this is going to impact people on the front line, I can tell you because I was there. And so both parties have to be interested and engaged and understand that we need each other to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, moving on, kind of this talking about the um, there's this hitting culture of medical training. You know, it's like, you know, put on your boots, don't complain. You know, grind your. So, kind of talk about this hitting culture and its impact on physicians. You know, wellness, burnout, and um, how we can find joy in med- medicine. Okay, I'll give you two great examples. Now, you realize I went to medical school in ancient <laughs> times, but. <laughs> There was a professor attending I had in hematology, oncology, see inpatient ward, and and the folks that were admitted to that ward were really not doing well with their cancer. And Mm -hmm. so um, one day we were on rounds and it was on this huge tower in the 15th floor of the tower of this hospital. And um, 
we were standing outside of a patient's room and the attending uh, was sitting there in his bow tie and his white coat and everything very uh, austere. And he said, where's the intern? The intern's supposed to tr to present the patient. And we were looking around, we said, we don't know. And then the intern ran around the corner and just face was just so pale and, and just totally wiped out. And he's the attending said, where you been? And the, and the intern looked down and he said, I just saw Dr. Jones jump off of the 15th story balcony of the hospital. Oh, and mm -hmm. Dr. Jones, uh, it's not his name, was the chair of cardiology. And in that moment where there was just a physician suicide right there on the floor where we were attending to patients, that attending looked down, shook his head and said, hmm, that's a shame. He was a sick man. Okay, mm. present the patient. Oh, man. And I was a third year medical student. And you imagine, I, I'm sitting there just trembling and shaking because the mm. first thing I'm thinking of is, oh my God, is that going to be me? And this type of mentality of just, you know, this war zone mentality of get in there, keep going, don't let your emotions be expressed, displayed, or even experienced uh, is a way that we bury all of this stuff. And mm. you're just told to just kind of like keep going, keep going. And, and we're taught to be very critical of ourselves, self-criticism. Now, self-criticism is a way for us to kind of correct mistakes, correct? That's right. At the same time, if we're hypervigilant about always being wrong, we become perfectionistic, we become obsessed, anxious, and constantly spinning around trying to make sure that we make no mistakes. And that is not the best way to function. And if we are able to be self-compassionate and we're able to process some of these experiences that we have in as human beings, instead of these programmed people that just are perfectionistic all the time, then I feel like we can reach some balance. But that is the message. The message is you are special. You are gonna know all the answers. And when people come to you, they're gonna expect all the answers. And then that that message is, is expressed to the general public. And so uh, we walk in and we go, oh my gosh, I gotta have all the answers. I don't know what the answers are. And people are coming in expecting those answers. What if I make a mistake? And and this creates a tremendous amount of anxiety and eventually burnout. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said it so well. And um, and then you know the next question is you know with this, uh, especially COVID. I think a lot of it was it's a huge shock to physicians, kind of just the you know the whole paradigm. And so, how do you see the experience of physicians changing? post-COVID, um, you know, in terms of just, you know, values, goals, um, how they use technology, how they treat patients, you know, how they see their profession. Yeah. I feel like the COVID pandemic pulled back the curtain from what was hidden behind the scenes in medicine because we were already suffering from burnout. We were already suffering from staffing shortages in hospitals and clinics we were already drowning in all of the insurance bureaucracy 
trying to clash these cultures of a consumer mm. product versus a human right. And so then mm. the pandemic comes, it catches us, you know, without being alert and know what's going on. Totally uncertain. No one knew what was going on. We didn't know if we were all going to be wiped out or what to do. It reminds me a little bit of HIV when it first hit the scene. Because mm. when I was in medical school, we had one one hour lecture in four years on HIV. That's how much was known at the mm. time. Mm. And so everyone is scared. We were all frightened. We didn't know what to do. We're scrambling, feeling isolated. So that burnout, when we are in crisis mode as physicians, we're taught well. This is an emergency. Everything else goes away. We have to save the patient. So many of us just buckled down, did what we could, and we were running on fumes. And the human part of us as human beings, our families, our kids that needed, that were not going to school, that could not go to daycare, we needed, and then we were asked to continue to be in the hospital, to be in the clinic. It just drained us. It took everything out of us. So mm -hmm. post-COVID, we're seeing a mass exodus of healthcare workers. And I mean, mm -hmm. everyone from the receptionist to the medical assistant, to the nursing, everybody. So mm -hmm. we have this mass exodus, we have a shortage, which then puts more pressure on those remaining, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. the physician or nurse practitioner, PA, whoever has that computer screen in front of them with mm -hmm. all the information and tasks that need to be finished but then all the support staff is gone. So you're alone, more pressure. And this is why we are suffering a pandemic of increased burnout and exodus of healthcare workers and now providers, physicians, and it needs to be changed. We need to change the dynamic. We mm -hmm. need post-traumatic growth. And I do think that that's something that can be done Mm -hmm. After the peak of the pandemic, I was thinking the whole time, this is going to shake things up. Now people are going to realize we need to revamp the system and really look at what we're doing and do it completely differently. Mm -hmm. But what really has happened is that people were so relieved that the peak was over that even going back to the way things were, which was a burnout presence of, of physicians, was something that was desired instead of trying to have something that was a notch above that we actually could thrive in what we do. Mm, yeah. I love that. I've, I talked to a lot of, you know, there's a difference like the earlier career physicians, like a lot of like med students and residents now they're realizing, you know, they're, they're becoming more financially savvy and more frugal. They understand the importance of saving and investing and, limiting student loan debt and they're, you know, they're asking themselves what's next. You know, they, they understand that a medical career may not be 30, 40 years. They may be doing different things and kind of a portfolio and, you know, but I also see like people just finish fellowship and then they work for a year and then they're out because they just kind of like, that's not what they signed up for. And it's, it's quite a shame, you know, all of that education and training in the system can't, you know, help support it. So kind of, Kind of closing out, how do um, how can physicians and other providers restore their love of medicine? How do you help physicians do that? And um, kind of the work that you do, I know you do um, help with coaching and career transitions and career empowerment. 
Yeah. So based on my own personal growth and self-awareness of what brings me joy, my career was not the conventional career. I never had one job more than five years. I moved around for various reasons, but I try to work with clients, my physician clients, to first of all, stop and take a breath, just breathe for a second and stop running, 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 because you need to reflect on how you got where you are right now and where it is you are right now. Because many of us were just following a path that was carved by other people, not ourselves. So stopping and really looking at the experiences that you've had that brought you joy, that brought you life, those moments in your career where you felt like this is where I belong right here. And then looking at the values that were expressed, the setting, the elements that were present during that time and identifying where they are present now in your career and in your life and where they're not and do everything we can to expand those experiences where you can integrate those core values and those elements that bring you joy and try to push away and diminish the amount of energy and activity you spend in things that bring you down and drive you crazy. And this can be done in your present position bit by bit by reflecting on what works and doesn't work and then making small changes. Sometimes it turns out that you look around and as you do this, and as I work with clients, it becomes evident that where you are is not going to work, that this is not the place for you. And then we start to look where else would it be? Where would be, where can you find those elements either inside of medicine or outside of medicine and mm -hmm. really have the courage to make those moves that bring you joy and help you survive and thrive instead of just doing the same thing over and over again. I love that. What a fantastic way to end conversation. You know, healthcare burnout is such a, you know, important topic. And, you know, a lot of now, now I, um, I read Walgreens, CVS, uh, pharmacists are on strike and you had the Kaiser strike and, you know, physicians are unionizing. So, um, you know, really a lot of changes. Um, and how can people contact you, you know, follow you, reach out to you, see the work that you do, you know, get help, et cetera. Great. Thank you so much for asking that question. So I have a website. It's very simple, joeshermanmd.com. So if you search for that, joeshermanmd.com, uh, if you look at the website, it describes my work and what services I offer. And you can make a schedule a free consultation right from the website. Uh, and we can meet and discuss how what your situation is and how I might be able to help you. You can email me directly also, joe at joeshermanmd.com. And, uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn and often uh, post articles and and commentary there too. So um, I would love to hear from you and see if I can support you in any way I can. Yeah. And for all the audience out there, let's thank Joe for coming on. Really well-spoken, you know, fantastic interview. I'm sure the physicians got a lot of value. Be sure to check him out on LinkedIn and check out his services as well. And with that, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks so much.